Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. At Frost Collective, we are dedicated to designing a better world. Our specialist teams work across branding, strategy, place visioning, and wayfinding, solving problems with empathy and creativity to design experiences that benefit people, business, and the planet. And as a proud certified B Corp, we meet the highest environmental and social standards by balancing profit with our purpose to design a better world. To find out more, head to frostcollective.com.au. Welcome to the first episode of our Design Your Life Fittish series. Our bodies are a piece of design. You need to be sustainable. And it's simple. The healthiest bodies function the best. It's not about being a professional athlete, but simply it's living and training for ongoing well-being. In this series, I'll be chatting with experts including doctors, psychologists, nutritionalists, and world champion athletes to get to the bottom of what is the least we need to do for good health. In today's episode, I catch up with Dr. Norman Swan, medically trained journalist, best-selling author, and award-winning broadcaster. And a lot of you will be familiar with him as a straight-talking doctor who led and continues to lead us through the coronavirus pandemic. Tune in as we discuss his latest book, So You Want to Live Younger Longer, and what really is the minimum we have to do to stay fittish and why 80 is the new 60. It's really, really cool. I got Dr. Norman Swan with us today on Design Your Life. How you doing, Norman? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm, I'm super great. And uh, um, you've been in my ears for the last couple of years <laughs> and the whole nation's ears with your... Sorry about uh, that. <laughs> no, Corona, CoronaCast has been amazing and it's been really... Um, that's kind of, for me, that's the first time I heard of you, and I really felt that you were the friend of the nation, you're the person that people could trust, and, and I really love that. So uh, thank you. Thank you for helping us through, through that. I know by no means are we, are we out of it, but it's, uh, it was certainly um, uh, great to hear your voice every day, sometimes multiple times a day. <laughs> um, you're, one of, you're one of the most, most well-known doctors in the country um, and a health journalist, um, and you're from Scotland originally. And uh, what was it like growing up and your life growing up in Glasgow? Um, well, of course, you never do know anything different. I mean, Glasgow is a, an interesting place. It's very funny. Uh, Glasgow's sense of humor, you get this eye, you get a sense of it from Billy Connolly. <clears throat> but it's just a, a naturally funny city. And people, uh, you know, you, you go into a pub and you start laughing before they even told the punchline. It's just um, the good storytellers. <laughs> It's a very amusing, earthy city to live in. Yeah, well, I think the Irish would say the same thing, and the English would say the same thing too. There, there definitely yeah. is a, a humor. I do miss the English sense of humor. Um, it's, um, it's it, it, the sarcasm I miss the most, actually. Uh, what brought you to Australia? Um, I just came out here for a year to continue my training in pediatrics. Liked it. 
stayed on and um, decided this was the place for me to take a risk with my career and become, you know, see if I could get into broadcasting and writing. Oh, wow. So you deliberately wanted to get into broadcasting? I didn't know that until I saw an ad for uh, a producer to work at the ABC in science and medicine reporting. And when I saw that, I realized that was the job I really wanted in my life rather than medicine. I think you've got a lot of female fans out there. I know a lot of people I know, they go, oh, Norman, he's got such a lovely voice. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know that. You're smiling from ear to ear, just so you can, uh, you guys can well, tell. Well, just, just it, 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 yeah, it's, uh, it's nice. Yeah. Um, and speaking of journalism, and your, your son, Jonathan, is a brilliant journalist uh, based in the States. And I loved his interview he did with Trump. I mean, I didn't realize, we, did, we put two and two together yesterday. And we're going, oh, my God, that interview is spectacular. Um, you must be very proud of, of that interview or him as a, a journalist. No, well. I'm very proud of him. I'm very proud of all th three of my children. They've all done well. And they all work hard for what they've got. And Jonathan's done well, too. Yeah, no, I'm really proud of him. Yeah, yeah. That crack you up, that interview? Yeah, it was, it, it was, um, it, it was amazing. It was um, incredible that that actually got yeah. through, I thought. <laughs> but... Mm -hmm. Being such a control freak, I, th I think the, I, I think part Jonathan prepared very very well for it and um, and really thought it through and was well researched for it. So there's nothing to do like preparation and um, and I think the other thing is that that uh, until that point Trump quite liked Jonathan. So I think that there wasn't it didn't start from a point of antagonism. Ah, oh, he won him over in the beginning. Well, he, I think it was the third time he'd interviewed Trump, so um, oh, okay. they, they kind of knew each other. Okay, all right, okay, cool. What was it like for you d dealing with the, the, the COVID during the, the pandemic? Look, the, um, we, 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 with Coronacast, with uh, Tegan and I, Will Ockenden, who's our producer, and that's still the team that's together now after mm -hmm. all this time, we kind of walked into... A vacuum without realizing it. We we knew that the audience had questions. With they knew the ABC had to position itself with something mm -hmm. um, regular. It wasn't my idea to do the the, the podcast. Um, it was the idea of an executive in the in ABC News and Current Affairs. It's actually an ABC News show that's partly resourced from Radio National, and um, and we thought, well, we'll answer listeners' questions. We'll cover the latest research and just provide a bit of a service to the community. And then we just didn't realize that nobody else was doing it really in that way. And mm. at that point, I mean, the, the standard of journalism with COVID got very good very quickly. And uh, journalists have now, you know, really superb at educating themselves and understanding what's going on. But in the early days, everybody was playing catch up. So we had a bit of an advantage there because I've always been interested in pandemics. I did a four part documentary series on infectious disease and pandemics for Channel 4 UK back in 1990. Ah, wow. And, um, you know, and I was always interested in public and population health when I was at medical school. So mm -hmm. it, 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 and I'd read a lot about it. So it, it did, it, it, I was, I was kind of, and then against my background of many years of health reporting, I was kind of ready for it, even though I didn't ever think I'd live through a pandemic um, like this. I, I, I kind of was ready for it. For all of us, it was new. I mean, I guess you're lucky you had you had uh, an advantage that you had studied it and done a shows before. Um, for all of us, it was a lot of people were scared, you know, scared out of their wits with this. The uncertainty of it um, really did rock 
the world, hasn't it? Still, I mean, still yeah, is. I, I, yeah, I think people were very uncertain, and and we were uncertain as well um, because the science wasn't set. The uh, every day new information was coming out. It wasn't necessarily well reviewed by other scientists. So that you could be reading a piece of rubbish or some really good piece of mm -hmm. research, and you, yeah. um, and the and the volume of information was huge, <clears throat> still is, and you, you could easily make a mistake, wrong interpretation, and you know I'm still making mistakes now. The key is to correct the mistakes uh, really quickly. But th there was one thing you know, people used to say: "Oh, how do you? How, you seem to be all you know, predicting." what's going to happen next with the pandemic? How, how can you do that as if there was some magical thing? Mm. And really my answer was I just turned the next page of the textbook because until recently this pandemic has behaved like any pandemic has for 2,000 years, the history. The, so you just knew what was going to happen next based mm. on the history of pandemics. Um, you, there's no textbook of public health that will have to be rewritten based on the beginning of the pandemic. <clears throat> it is changing now as, as the real nature of this virus becomes clear. But even the Black Death lasted for 300 years. Um, Jesus. We've got a bit of a long time to yeah. go then, haven't we? Yeah, hunker in. That's why I've written this book, so you want to live younger longer <laughs> so you can be around for the, so you can well, yeah. live around until the end, the end of the pandemic. Yeah, well, let's get to the book. That was a bit of a plug on your behalf already. My God, you're plugging it. Yeah, um, so, well, you, the, you don't spend all these months writing a book and then for nobody to buy it. <laughs> well, it's a wonderful book. Um, so you want to live younger, longer. It's your wonderful new book that comes out tomorrow, um, which I've had a, a read through, and it's uh, really, really cool, and, and it gives me some hope. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I'm... Uh, I've said I'm, I'm in my heading towards my late 50s, which is scary. I never thought I'd be this old already. Um, yeah. I feel really young inside. Um, I feel like the 18-year-old um, until I look in the mirror. Um, I wrote a book, too, in 2014 called Design Your Life, and that's what this podcast is, is based on. And that really is about helping individuals design the best life possible and using kind of, I guess, the design process and ideating, creating ideas and creating a plan to realize that idea, applying that to your everyday life is something that I found has really worked for me. And, and, mm. um, and it's really wonderful to, to look at your book, read your book, and you know, it's having this ultimate guide for, to longevity. Um, and It's not just longevity, it's healthy longevity. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, you don't want to be around if you're in a terrible... Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, but the younger guys, I don't know if you felt the same way, and I presume you're over for 50, Norman. Um, but these, these young guys, I never kind of thought about my mortality until I probably turned 50. I've had several midlife crises, uh, you know, probably since I was about 30. Um, but I did, I did kind of feel like, oh, my God, I'm over halfway. And you realize every day going forward from that point is precious. And, and you need to kind of I, – I just felt I wanted to make sure that I was – doing all the things that were going to help me uh, live longer, you know? And yes. some of it's intuition, some of it's kind of stuff you read, but I really love the fact that you consolidate it in, in your book. And how did it come about? So just go back to this design principle. Mm -hmm. I think there are too many health books, I don't like starting on a negative, but there are too many health books on the market that wag the finger at you and tell you what to do. Yeah. You know? 
just eat goji berries three times a day, just fast every two or three days, just do this, you know. And um, I paraphrase uh, an American humorist called H.L. Mencken. Well, I don't paraphrase him, I quote him in the book, but I'm going to paraphrase him now. And what he, you know, in the 1920s, and uh, he, one of his favorite phrases was effectively, for every complicated problem, there's a clear and simple solution, which is always wrong. Yeah, and I love that. Uh, so you, uh, and you get told what to do. So what I, you can't make the assumption that you know what is right for everybody that's going to pick up this book. No. So on the design principle is there's a choice of things. You know, your lounge can be blue. You yeah. can buy expensive appliances. You can have polished floorboards. There's, you know, for every element in your life, there are multiple choices. And how do you make those choices? It comes back to that story about COVID-19. Uncertainty, too many things happening. Where, where does the balance of information lie? So what this is, I'm laying out the, 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 the multiple ingredients of the recipe with the relevant evidence attached to it. And you know, I'm sure I could have a, a, you know, a massive bestseller that sells a million copies if I just told you that goji berries were the answer, but I couldn't lie straight in bed at night. It's just, you've got to choose for yourself what the right recipe is, and then you can, go, you can dig in and actually choose that for yourself. And when it comes to the design process, the earlier you do it, the better. You're talking about just suddenly realizing. I do talk about this in the book. When you reach a significant mm. milestone, you know, usually with a four or a five or a six in front of it, you start yeah. thinking about the future. Men are much worse at this than women. Women think about it much further ahead. But in the book, I, t I tend to take a, a, a view that here's what you can do in your 20s. Here's what you can do in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and so on. And the, er the evidence is the earlier you do it, the better, but it's never too late. You, you can not stop the clock, but you can store it, slow it. And it is all about clocks. It's about having that your body um, has fewer miles on it than the actual number of miles you've got on the clock. Um, you're younger than you are. So, mm. uh, you know, so for example, and we're, and we're doing that already without thinking about it. So an 80-year-old today, if you're 80 years old today, 2022, um, your chances of dying in the next 12 months are the same as a 60-year-old 50 years ago. Wow. So at 80 years old, you're 20 years young, you've got 20 years less on the clock than you, yeah. you would have had 50 years ago uh, without thinking about it. That's just the way it's gone. Okay, so that's not of our doing then. So it's not like someone's well, got really smart about how they live. It's partly of our doing, so it's it's not fully understood why that why that's happened. So, that, and and some of these reasons are bigger than we are as individuals. Mm -hmm. So, one of the reasons we're doing that we're living longer, younger, is education. Since the war, Second World War, more and more people have finished high school. More and more people have gone on to university or college, learn a trade or learn a profession. And the further you go in education, the longer you live, the later you get dementia or whether you get dementia at all, the later you get heart disease and cancer. Mm -hmm. Something to do with health education. It's got to do with more education you've got, the more control you have over your life, uh, the more choices you have because the wealthier you, you tend to be wealthier, less likely you understand stuff so you don't smoke as much. 
So that's one one reason. I'll come back to bring me back to this control thing because that's really important about living longer, younger, younger, longer. And then we stop smoking. So we've got very low smoking rates, and that is you know that's hugely promotional of of of, of, uh, of aging. And then we've got better at you know what are the, two or three of the things that really speed up aging are very mundane things like your blood pressure. If you've got higher than average blood pressure, that batters your body and makes you age faster. A high cholesterol does that too. If you're overweight or obese, that batters your body and makes you age faster. So there's things that we, um, so we have got a bit fatter, but our cholesterol has been is under better control. Blood pressures are better, are better under control. Those things have all made a difference to living younger, longer, but there's much more that you can do. Mm. I mean, it's a very, obviously, beautifully written book, very engaging, entertaining, and insightful. Um, I was reading through it thinking, why are we so bad at being human beings? I mean, why do we act like we're the first human on earth, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? We, not, we don't seem to retain any information. There's so many experts out there saying what you should do, what you could do, and all that. I'd probably pointing the finger, as you said. Um, and we kind of take it in, but we don't really take it seriously. And 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 no wonder we get sick, or no wonder we get obese, or no wonder we uh, have diabetes, etc. They're kind of modern day illnesses um, that are caused by uh, the, the lifestyles that we live. Yes, but it's not always our fault. We tend to blame the individual. That person's obese, and you know, there's some sort of weak person. The the reality is that it's the we live in an obesogenic environment mm. um, we, where it's hard to take incidental exercise, where it's dangerous to get on a bike because you might get knocked over, where uh, the global food industry is selling us cheap, useless calories. And uh, you know it's cheaper to buy unhealthy food than it is healthy food. And we tend to put you know, the, the obesity um, epidemic started when we started to really have a globalized food industry, which yeah. mass marketed cheap, unhealthy calories. So, yeah. and then they be, these people become fat in childhood, and then you have a tendency to be fat for the, you're obese for the rest of your life, or overweight anyway. Yeah, well, it's, there's some overlapping themes in, in both our books, which is really cool. And, and one of my chapters is called Be Fittish. Uh, and it's really about, um, the fact that you're not putting that kind of pressure on yourself. I mean, I, it's basically me. The realization that I, I would like see a holiday coming up, which is very rare, and two weeks before I go, shit, I need to go to the gym and get in some kind of shape and realize I left right. it too late. <laughs> you know, <laughs> then go on holiday wearing a T-shirt and baggy shorts. Um, <laughs> and, and I guess the idea that um, when I was reading through your book, I was just thinking, okay, what's, what can I glean from this? What's the least I need to do? to be yes. the best for myself. What is right for me? You know, I mean, when I eat a meal, what is the right amount? What's the right uh, content of, of a meal? What, how much exercise should I be doing? I mean, some of these things uh, are very obvious. You know, stopping drinking. I don't drink. And I haven't done for 10 years, and that's been amazing for me. Uh, before, my life was pretty muddled in a lot of ways and uh, messy because of that. And, and there are things you can eliminate, and there's things that you can reduce, and there are things you can start doing more of that make a big difference. So I guess it's kind of how, how do you find your way through all that? Well, you're absolutely right that you don't have to have a washboard abdomen and be able to do a marathon three times a year 
to live younger, longer. And some of us who are more obsessional, that's what we instantly jump to, that we've got to be perfect at whatever we do. But you, you just, because things multiply rather than add up. So uh, what I talk about is the recipe is orchestral. Um, I, I talk about things working together like an orchestra and they, they mm -hmm. operate together. And, you know, a, a great orchestra, sure, has great players, but it's also very well coordinated. And so your diet has to be good enough. Um, you know, not perfect, but it's got to be, you know, ideally you cook for yourself. Ideally, you cook in the Mediterranean style. And that cooking cooks up anti-aging uh, compounds that you could never buy in the chemist. When you throw extra virgin olive oil in the pot, chop up onions, throw that in, cook it in a modern heat, add moderate heat, add garlic, add tomatoes, maybe carrots. That cooks up, that reacts with each other and cooks up bioactive compounds that you cannot buy over the shelf, which not only get absorbed into your body and do you good, they also get absorbed in your gut and your gut's bugs change, your microbiome changes, and it's much more healthy for your immune system. Then if you add into that occasional days where you're a bit frugal and you don't overload yourself the way Greek Australians do when they're following the Greek Orthodox Church, they have 100 fast days a year, but they're like vegan fasts where they don't eat uh, uh, protein, they just eat plants. And... Um, and, and they live a, a long time. You know, Greek Australians are very long-lived mm. who, who live a in the traditional way. But it's not just that frugality. It's they eat with friends and family. They cook slowly so you don't eat burnt food, which is a pro-aging compound. In, in Melbourne, at least, they, have, they grow vegetables in their backyard or they have an allotment so their vegetables are fresh. And it's not exclusive to Greeks. If you... Just watch Vietnamese families in suburbs or a lot of Vietnamese. Just watch Vietnamese uh, people, Vietnamese Australians, buy vegetables and herbs. You'd be a nightmare being a greengrocer because they are so particular about it being fresh and right and so on. And Greeks are the same, Greek Australians are the same, is that things have got to be fresh, which means that whatever chemistry is in them is as fresh as possible. It's probably much better than being organic. And all those things add up together. A little bit of this, a little bit of that a little bit of exercise doing your garden. And it's a recipe, that particular one is a recipe for a long life. If you if all you did was exercise and nothing else, it probably doesn't have, well, it's hard to know, but it probably doesn't have the advantage of being social and having friends and eating a reasonably good diet, not being too overweight and getting a bit of exercise. Mm. You talk in the book about a slow life. Can you uh, unpack that a bit? Well, it's, I talk, yeah, I, it, it's, I talk about slow cooking, but a slow life, it's not so much slow, it's having time for people and the things around you and the things that count. Because an important concept in the book is to understand is that your brain runs your body. Yes. So what's above the neck runs your body. And your brain yeah. is attuned to your environment. And... What your brain perceives, either consciously or unconsciously, it takes it in and sends directions to the rest of the body about how it should operate. Your heart, your blood vessels, your immune system, hormones, uh, your gut, and then your gut sends back information back to the brain. So psychological things or social things are translated into physical stuff in the body. 
And so all that counts. And if you don't appreciate what counts, which is often the people around you, whether or not you're in the right job, whether you you know, were in the middle of this you know, this mm-hmm. great resignation, whether people are reevaluating themselves after yeah. well during the COVID pandemic, it's um, you know do you hate your boss? Are you in a job you don't like? You're forced into a situation where you're doing things that you don't want to do at too high a pressure. That creates chronic stress, which affects how the brain works and affects how the rest of the body works. And there's a lot of research to back that up. So it's not so much a slow life, it's a life in which you have some control. Mm. What do you think the, I mean, on the news this morning, I was listening, and and it's on every morning, people saying, you know, there's an all-time pandemic of uh, people's well-being as people are focused on... um, you know, anxiety, there's a lot of anxiety around more so than ever before, or is it that we're reporting it or has the COVID created that kind of, that knock on effect uh, for us all? I mean, is it, it feels like people's general well-being is a real, really big concern now as it should be, but it seems to be like a pandemic in itself. Well, let's unpack that a, a little bit. Pre-pandemic, um, psychological distress in the community was already going up. Mm-hmm. And that's a combination of anxiety and depression. It's not; It wasn't at all clear why that was happening, but it was certainly an issue. Yeah. And so set against that, you've got the pandemic and lockdowns on top, and that has made, that has made it worse, and hopefully it's getting a bit better as lockdown passes. Um, so that's, you know, that's an important part of it, and it does influence, you know, again, your, your, how things are going. But there's also an expectation here which I think is a problem. And the expectation is that wellness is normal and wellness is what we should have every day of the week. Mm. That somehow we're missing out if we don't bounce out of bed in the morning um, Mm. with full of energy, having had a wonderful night's sleep, jump over to the sink, wash our pearly white teeth, admire our washboard abdomen or our thin thighs, and our perfect children come in and um, play around. My God, you're describing uh, and my you're life ready- perfectly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> we all wake up feeling crap. And Is that we, always? Because I've never well, felt great. <laughs> well, well I'll, I'll, separately I'll have a conversation with you. But no, uh, no seriously, oh, no. <clears throat> you have good days and you've got bad days. It's mm-hmm. up and down. Some yeah. days we feel great, sometimes. How would you know you feel great? if you feel great every day. The only mm-hmm. reason you, you know if you feel great is that you have good days and bad days. Not today, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm happy. Yeah. And the problem is when it's every day, when you don't want to get up in the morning, when you are not enjoying the things you used to enjoy, when you've got a chronic feeling of anxiety, when that's mm. unremitting, where you don't want to do the things you used to do, where you can't complete your work, that's when you need help. That's not normal. But we normal is not a state of perpetual wellness. And I think that people generate a concern about themselves because they have bad days. Um, We all have bad days. It's just that they're not every day. Well, that's a good point because it frustrates when people say, how are you doing? And I'm like, "Uh, actually. (laughs) Do you really want me to tell you? Yeah, hang on. Now that you you mention it, I feel, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, Keeping fit and healthy uh, can be incredibly expensive. I mean, it's getting more and more expensive, just our whole lifestyle generally. You know, lettuce is now $12 a, 
for, you know, uh, a bunch. Um, and there's there's millions of pills and diets and trainers and gyms, and we brand gyms all the time and all that. What's the best way to stay healthy and not burn your money? Burn your money on, uh, so you want to live younger or longer, um, <laughs> so, so you can actually make sure. No, seriously. Yeah. So supplements, so let's start with supplements here, because mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of people burn money on supplements, and they're not cheap. No. And uh, what, I, what I describe in the book um, is I go through a lot of the anti-aging supplements and I take them all seriously because actually a lot of them should work. It's really interesting. There, a lot of them are based on really good animal research and when you give them to animals, they live 20 or 30% longer in good health. Yet the problem is we are much more complicated than a mouse. And when you give them to humans, they don't seem to work. And one of the research dilemmas is why don't they work? And so at the moment, you could save your money on supplements. But one day there might be one. But there's the reasons are complicated. So first of all, we probably take them in too high a dose. Dose counts. And we usually think of things, so we're tempted to think, well, if a little bit is good, a lot is going to be better. And it turns out that some of these substances work in entirely different ways depending on the dose. It's not a linear thing. So, for example, vitamin C is probably an antioxidant as a supplement. Not that I'm suggesting you take it as a supplement. Uh, is an antioxidant at low dose and possibly a pro-aging supplement that speeds up aging when you Ooh. take it as a high dose. Wow. So they, they, they switch roles. We don't understand why. So they probably haven't got the dose of these supplements right. And then just giving one may not be enough to change the uh, to change us back to a more youthful profile. So what's the cocktail? And sh- should you take it all the time? There's some evidence that maybe you should take a, cocktail, a, a proven cocktail of supplements. Nobody's proven what that cocktail is yet. But take it once a month or twice a month and let your body... You know, in other words, stop. So your body gets confused a bit and doesn't actually learn to resist the supplements. So there's, so that's the supplement story. There's no, mm. there's no supplement yet, which beats what's known about diet, cuisine, cooking. What I've just spoken about a few minutes ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, in terms of exercise, to actually get your aerobic exercise done and even muscle strengthening, you don't need to be a member of a gym. There are plenty of apps now which show you how to strengthen your muscles at home and build up your muscles. Strong muscles are really important and progressive aerobic exercise, and you don't need to spend a penny on that. Equally, we we eat too much. And although at the moment um, healthy food is, uh, is more expensive, that will come back down again. But if you have portion control and you don't, you, know, you don't do large portions, a few things happen. One is you control your calorie intake. The other is you control your salt intake because the lower your portions, the lower amount of salt you take in your diet. Um, and, and so you can be careful about that. Cooking for yourself rather than buying takeaway or going out to restaurants, that's cheaper. Mm-hmm. So that can save you money. Um, so a lot of the things that um, keep you younger, long, you know, not smoking saves your fortune. Uh, yeah. Not drinking too much saves you a fortune. Um, yeah. So there are things that you can do and net you're almost certainly saving money. Mm. And I, I, I mentioned in my book though the fact that your stomach on average is the size of your fist. 
and often, you know, you people have four fifths worth of food in each meal because uh, it fits the plate. You know, it's almost like the plate dictates the amount of food you eat. The plate, the plate does. Dictate, there's solid evidence on that. If you put food on a small plate, people eat less. Okay. <laughs> um, I've recently. What another thing I found really exciting in your book was the, the importance of strength training. And six months ago. I met this guy um, who's a, a sculptor, um, and I was saying to him, I don't often say this to guys, going, God, you got a great body. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was feeling it at all-time low. It was like just after Christmas, it was January, I thought, fuck, I haven't done my New Year's resolutions. I've let, it sl- I've let that even slip. I haven't even started it. And he said, come down with us down at Bondi. We do kettlebell training out on the street four times a week. A uh, bunch of guys, all different kind of from different backgrounds and stuff. And it was like, I kind of ummed and art about it. I went down there uh, and I was like, a whole bunch of guys. The social side of it was really cool. You know, a whole bunch of guys I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and kettlebell. And, and you know, just a, a kettlebell, 16 kilo kettlebell and a really simple routine. And I was like, well, I can do this. It's not complicated. No. Um, and... It's a whole body exercise, and it just, like, I feel amazing. I've been doing it four days a week, as I said, and I feel I've gotten stronger and stronger. I'm now kind of, you know, swinging 32 kilos or something, rather. Um, I've got a bunch of new friends, and uh, it, it's, it's a routine that I, I just enjoy doing. It's part of my life now. It's not something I feel I have to do or I begrudgingly do. i found the thing. You know, you often try to find the thing that you really sure. love, and, and, and it's... I hope it lasts. It might, I might have just jinxed it. It might be the end of the thing, and I might have to find something else. I've tried boxing. I've tried all kinds of stuff before. Um, but finding your thing and... Uh, if you look at people who are younger but older, in other words, they've got fewer miles on the clock than the clock would suggest they have, they have strong muscles. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they've, they've, got a, they've got a heart and lung system. In other words, the cardiorespiratory system is fit. So in other words, they're very good at exchanging oxygen in their lungs, which is mm-hmm. part of the fitness measure. And they've got strong muscles. Because if you, um, if you slacken off, your muscles start to melt away. It's called sarcopenia. And that's a pathway to frailty and being elderly and frail. And so you really, and that's the depressing thing about getting older with more miles on the clock, is you've got to work harder to maintain those muscles and you've got to find ways of doing it. So you're lucky you find the kettlebell t- technique. You probably will get a bit bored with that in time and then you'll find something else. But then you, what you do know is you've got to keep those muscles up. And it's remarkable how well you feel when you've, uh, when you've strengthened uh, your muscles. I mean, I've just been on holiday for a few weeks, which was great and felt feel really refreshed, but I didn't get to the gym at all during my holiday and uh, came back feeling a bit sluggish and back at the gym, strengthening muscles feels so much better. <laughs> I, presume, I presume you went to Greece, right? Because you keep talking about Greek food and everything. Well, I did go to Greece, that's right. But, um, oh, you did? Yeah, yeah, no, I did go to Greece. Okay. Um, how do you personally stay healthy? It's got a good segue you just said. I mean, obviously you don't do anything on your holidays, but um, during the rest <laughs> of the year, uh, what do you do? Well, I don't smoke. Um, I, I'm lucky I've never drunk that much, so I don't um, you know, drink excessively. Um, I'd only have uh, alcohol p- probably at the weekends and then not in too high a quantity. I, um, I try and control my food. So my weakness is food. And I've got a very poorly controlled appetite. So I've got to be very careful about what I put in front of myself. And 
um, and so that's you know that that is my that is my weakness. If I were, I, you've got to keep me away from a buffet table. Um, <laughs> I, I hover very close to it. Um, well, what, so, what is yeah. the Scottish diet? Is it a lot of brown food, probably carbs and potatoes yeah, and the, pies the, and the, stuff? The Scottish diet is shite. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Apologies to all Scottish people listening in. There is a few. No, no, they don't, they'd all agree. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's that Scott who thinks they're eating good food. Um, you, you know, the, at least growing up, it's, better, it's much better now um, it's available. But, you know, when I was growing up, I would have had uh, chips once or twice a day. My mother had a chip pan on the yeah. cooker, on the, what you what Australians call the stove. I never really get used yeah. to calling the stove. Um, vegetables were boiled to a mush. Yeah. Um, we had cured meats, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I think... Uh, the Scottish diet now, if you're well educated and, and so on, is probably not too much different from the, the Australian you know, the Australian diet. People are tending to eat more vegetables, less meat, and so on. But it, the, you know, haggis, you know, fried fried haggis, in yeah, fact, was a real haggis. thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was a was a real thing. You go to, on a Saturday night after you've been to the pub. Uh, when I was a student, you'd go to the fish and chip shop, and you'd. I mean, like, well, for example, when I was when I was a kid, we we would go for a swim, and it was so hard to get exercise in Glasgow. So you'd go for a swim, and a, and a swimming pool, you'd have to you'd have to queue up to get into the swimming pool because it was an indoor swimming pool; it was too cold. And you were allowed; you had to go in, and then you were you wanted to queue, but you got changed, and you were allowed in the pool for thirty or forty minutes, and then they'd blow a whistle. And you'd have to get out and get changed. And <laughs> then this new group of people would come in for the swim. And there'd be so many people in, you could actually never get any exercise. So it's very, it's very different. But then after we'd had the swim, when we were kids, we would go out. And next door to the f- swimming pool was a fish and chip shop. And next door to the fish and chip shop was a bakery. So we'd buy chips and then buy a fresh buy, you know, roll and stuff the oh. <laughs> roll full of chips. How good and does that, that would sound? Be, Chips butty, <laughs> but the um, it's yeah. um, look, there wasn't much sophistication that. when I was growing up. Oh. I mean, have you, have you decided that you want to live longer or forever? I mean, some yeah, people I don't. Pro- some people go, you know, what? I've had my time. I've, I'm, I'm, it's long enough. You know, <laughs> other people. I mean, some people aren't so positive about living longer, are they? Oh yeah, no, I'll take what I can get. Um, <laughs> I want. <laughs> I want to find out what happens next. Yeah, um, I talk about this. I talk about this actually. My attitude towards this, I talk about this at the beginning of. So you want to live younger, longer. I mean, why I want to live younger, longer is, uh, you know, I want to see my kids, my grandkids. Yeah. I want to see what, what happens next politically. I just want to be around for all that. And yeah. the longer I can be around for all that, the better. Before what you know, because I, I don't believe in an afterlife. So what happens next is just blackness and nothingness and uh, so i'll take what i can get and um, staying younger for as long as i can helps me and and would you retire eventually or do you want to is, is this important for you to keep working and doing what you're doing is that what keeps you young retirement i've heard that word before so oh, retirement yeah no i don't intend to retire people say that to don't, me oh, what don't tell that do? to the young producers at the abc who <laughs> would like would like to push me under a bus so that they can actually... <laughs> oh my god he's getting younger by the day we're never going to get rid of this how, guy 
Yeah, how am I going to get in front of the microphone? I always ask this question in the podcast, and I, I just want to understand from you, do you think you've designed your life? I've designed it at certain times. Um, mm -hmm. I, I did medicine fairly intentionally when I was a kid because I couldn't think of it. I, well, I wanted to be an actor, and I, I decided not to do acting for various reasons. And I decided I, I made a purposeful decision for medicine because I couldn't work out what else to do. And I knew if I did medicine, at least I'd have lots of choices and my future would in some way be framed and planned for me. Mm. Um, and then after I did medicine and I was pretty dissatisfied, not with medicine, but wanting to do other things with my life, I was looking around for something else. I didn't design it, but happenstance brought me to the ABC because I happened to see an ad and I applied for a job as a producer and got it. Mm -hmm. um, so I wasn't so much design, but when I recognized what the right design for me was, I took it. And then I've been pretty purposeful at times in my career about saying, well, no, I'm not going to do that. And yes, I am going to do this and I'll try this out, but I'll only try it for a short period of time. So I've just been pretty purposeful. I mean, I've, I've basically been at the ABC. I've only ever had a couple of jobs in my life and I've, I've been at the ABC for a long time and, um, you know, and, but moved around within the ABC and done lots of things outside. So if I, I'm lucky that I found the job that suits me perfectly and I love going to work and I've got no desire to retire from it. Sorry to all the young producers listening. Um, yeah. Because it's a lot of fun. But I, I'm very careful about other stuff that I do and I do try and design that a little bit. But, you know, you can't design everything. You, life just comes and mugs you. Um, you, you, you. Everything's fine and rosy, and then suddenly something comes out of the blue and your life changes. So you've mm. just got to be prepared for that. And that's happened to me once or twice in my life. Yeah, and sometimes you have to hit a wall. Sometimes you hit rock bottom. Um, as human beings, we're pretty good at kind of, I mean, it hurts at the time, but pretty good at actually navigating our way out of that situation. And you learn from it. Uh, I mean, I, I had a bad period about um, six years ago, lots of different reasons, lots of things. I, so I kind of know now what I can tolerate um, and mm. come through the other end. What I respect for what you do is in terms of, um, you know, you're giving to the nation. You're actually helping people. Um, you know, yes, you're a public figure, but you're a doctor first and foremost and a human that cares about people's well-being although you hate the word well-being or term. Well, I hate the um, word wellness more than well-being. Okay. Well-being. Right, right. I'm, I'm right, fine right. with well-being. Okay. Well, okay. It's the wellness <laughs> industry. I, I hate the wellness industry. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to have irate Scottish people and the, uh, the wellness industry is going to be on our, on our podcast complaining. <laughs> Thanks for that, Norman. <laughs> um, but, you know, you're actually giving – every day you're giving out. You're giving to – of yourself. You're advising people. You're helping people guide and navigate their lives um, to a better outcome, which is really cool. What does that feel like for you being in the – doing that but also being in the public eye all the time? Does that take – is that – does that give you a positive – uh, contribution to your life or are the times that it's quite uh, draining or, or um, you know, wears you down? Um, so I'll just correct you slightly on the first one. I don't believe that I'm navigating for people. I believe okay. that what I'm doing is giving them information they might they would otherwise find it hard to get and they yep. can make choices based on that mm -hmm. information. Um, so I, I don't think I'm the navigator. I think I'm almost okay. like the chef providing you yep. with 
interesting stuff that you've never seen before on the plate. Yeah. Or do you want a chip wondering, body or do you want chips by itself? <laughs> that's right. Um, or a very chlorinated warm pool <laughs> of urine in Glasgow. Yeah. Um, so, um, but and in terms of public recognition, look at people are really nice. They um, mm. they come up to you. They don't want to be your best friend. They just want to say thank you and so on. And oh, it's, nice. it's, it's 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 lovely. It's uh, it's not onerous at all. Not necessarily deserved, but it's uh, it's nice. But but by my behaviour, I'm very careful. I I I, I, re, I realize that I'm recognised probably more than I realize, mm. and I just. Um, if I if I go out of the, if I go out of the house and I'm grumpy, I'm quite careful not to show it or let, you know, oh. just just in case there's somebody around. The people stop in the street and go, oh, I've got this like aching little thing. No, they bump. don't. I've got a bump on yeah. my back. Hey, can you have a look at it for me? No, I don't get that. Get that from my friends, but not okay. from uh, strangers in the street. Oh, do you? <laughs> You be careful, your friends. If you want to come kettlebelling too, let me know because it's. Um, okay. I'm sure. You, I'm sure you get that uh, six pack pretty quick. Okay. Um, all right. Where can people get your fantastic new book? So it's called uh, "So You Want to Live Younger Longer." It's published by Hachette. It'll be in all good bookshops, and you can also order it from Booktopia or Amazon. Okay. Cool. Hey, um, Dr. Norman Swan. Norman, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed meeting up with you. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening into the first episode of our fitness series with Dr. Norman Swan. Tune in to the next episode where I'll be catching up with Richard Holman to discuss what the least you need to do to eliminate self-doubt, procrastination, and how to free up your creativity. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.